welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 63. And the last time the message was titled, Ministering Through Trials. And the Apostle Paul and Jesus and all through the Gospel writers, the Old Testament, the New Testament, really speak about uh, a ministry that we can have serving God, blessing others, even in our most difficult times. And you might even find that if you've gone through difficult times and you end up trying to minister to somebody and they wonder, well, what have you been through? And then you can share some of your struggles. It puts them more at ease and makes them even feel more comfortable. Um, sometimes in the church, sometimes people have the attitude that they wait for their life to become perfect and all the problems to go away before they actually serve God, which, does that ever happen in life <laughs> at all? Even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he talked about these trials that he had, and one particular one he asked the Lord three times to remove from him, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul responds, so therefore I will most boastly uh, boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So really neat things to take uh, from that message. And today the message is titled, The Trials of Christ? Question mark, question mark. So we're going to see some of the things that he went through, but really it, it wasn't because he did anything wrong. It was so that we could have everlasting life. And we're going to check this out in five parts. So jumping in, in verse 63, and this is very interesting because there's a lot of historic context to this. As usually, we're going to go through the Old Testament, the New Testament, a uh, lot of good stuff in here. It says, now remember, this is uh, continuous. This is something that took place over a long period of time, but for the sake of time, we take it in blocks on Sunday morning. So verse 63, it says, now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. So first out of five is Christ is beaten. Now here's the interesting part about this, right? Again, I love the Old Testament precedent. The Old Testament is so rich with a foundation for how we understand the events that took place in the first century. Isaiah 52.14 in the Old Testament, centuries before this took place, spoke about the uh, detail of these beatings and, and what he looked like right uh, extensively. It says, quote, and this is the Old Testament, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Wow. I mean, honestly, our meteorologists have a hard time tell us, telling us what's going to happen six days from now. But here, the Bible is very clear and explicit uh, centuries before the event takes place. Even in Matthew 20, Jesus told his followers he was, he was uh, 
comforting them, cautioning them. And he basically prophesied this abuse to take place upon him. Now, this is an amazing thing because, you know, if you're in the healthcare industry or law enforcement, you've seen people with injuries, right? And what happens is the tissues start to swell, the, you know, the capillaries respond, there's a histamine response, and there's a, there's a swelling. It's the way the body was designed to respond to these injuries. And it's extremely painful because it puts pressure on all the nerves. So he just dealt with it. There was no ice packs, you know. Um, it gets, it just gets worse as time gets on, all the way to the crucifixion and realizing that he could have stopped at any time. This was a painful road that he embarked on for the saving of our souls. And we're going to get to that, right? Little historical note at the, in the first century, a lot of history, Jewish history, Roman history, uh, Christian writers all pretty much say the same thing. So at this time, Annas was the former high priest who was still being shown deference, and Caiaphas was the current high priest, and he actually was the son-in-law of Annas. Um, but what happened was there's these six trials that Jesus goes through, right? Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, they kick him over to Pilate. Pilate kicks him over to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate because Herod and Pilate were at the same place for the Passover celebration. So the history on this is fascinating. Um, most likely the beatings took place after the second trial and right before the third trial. Um, you know, I find this fascinating for a lot of respects because I was in the courts for, for, for 25 years and, you know, I testified in, uh, you know, municipal court all the way up to federal court. Uh, I enjoyed the court systems. There's rules to the courts, right? So there were rules back then as well. The religious system had their rules. The Romans had their system of jurisprudence. But what was happening was actually not legal. So a few things were happening were, uh, number one, were night trials which was not legal, forced confessions, uh, false witness that perjured themselves when you really take all the Gospels and you add them together. So perjury, you wouldn't take a testimony from a person who perjured themselves, right? Uh, so th this is a, an interesting thing to look at. Verse 66, we continue, as soon as it was day, that's key. So the sun comes up. The elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you the Son of God? And he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? for we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So two, there's the Sanhedrin, the body, right? The body comes together um, and they have an official trial after the two unofficial trials. And it says as soon as it was day, right? So a little disingenuous to act as if now we're going to have this legitimate case because of what happened the hours that preceded it. Um, and again, why all the details? It's very, uh, I keep saying the word interesting, that's my word for the day, but just to see the juxtapositioning and the back and forth between, and again, you pick up a history book, it's all there. Whether it was the religious system or the Roman system, they're kind of going back and forth because this whole question about Jesus is sort of a, a, hot, potato, a hot potato, something they don't want to deal with. Uh, the verse 69 through 71 
This is important because, uh, and again, you hear this today. Today is, is the rise of the TikTok videos. And I even have people that I know that send me, Pastor Joe, someone, like all of a sudden, some person who, you know, makes a video of themselves and uploads it to TikTok, all of a sudden they're theologians, right? Jesus never claimed to be deity. Well, that's actually not true. He did it multiple times. So the historical part about this is that the, you had uh, five main sects back then. You had your Pharisees, you had your Sadducees, and they were different. You had your Herodians, which were sort of self-imposed messiahs, but they were quasi-religious. You had your Essenes, who were sort of the uh, recluses, right? The Dead Sea Scrolls came from a lot of the Essene writings. Uh, you have your Zealots and your Sicarii, the, the revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome by force, right? These are all historical facts, but... They didn't always agree with each other. Actually, they fought with each other at times, but they didn't try to kill each other. And the reason being is because none of those groups claimed deity, but Jesus did. So back in the law, back then, if you claimed to be God, and obviously you weren't, then it was punishable by death. It was verboten, so to speak. Right? In John 10.33, just to give you one example, I've covered some examples last Sunday. Uh, So there's a lot of examples in here, right? The Gospel of John 10.33 is that Jesus is doing miracles like he always does, and the religious leaders get together, they want to stone Jesus, right? That was the form of punishment back then. And Jesus asked them, point blank, for which of these good works do you want to stone me? Their answer, quote, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself God. So again, Jesus claimed deity. The, uh, those who were, you know, the ones, the vanguards of the law and what was right, uh, to the trials, they were, it was very clear to them that Jesus claimed deity. So he did it many times. Uh, and he, they wanted to stone him. So in that sense or in that portion of scripture, he ended up getting past them. All right. But, Again, people say, well, Jesus never claimed deity, and that's just not true. You've got to read the Scripture. Also, you could read history, and um, objective writers who were not Christians talked about Jesus, and they, they called it magic, right? So we call it miracles. They called it magic because they didn't understand it. They said he did some things that you can't really explain, and these people were not even Christians. All right, So it was even clear that his adversaries understood uh, that he claimed deity. A verse or chapter 23, 1 through 7 gets really interesting here. It says, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate, or Pontius Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, keyword, to this place. Well, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's district, who was in charge, right, of that district, Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So three is Pilate tries Christ. Now, something interesting happens here is that the charges change. (laughs) Again, uh, you know, I was a 
uh, an official of the court. My brother still is employed and he runs, you know, a lot of the court system in Middlesex County. So I, I smile because we know how the courts work. And you don't charge somebody with something, uh, you know, two hours before and then you bring them before the judge and all of a sudden the charges change. And the judge looks at the paperwork and saying, wait a minute, we went from blasphemy to insurrection. Whoa, these are way different charges. What's going on here, right? And you would say, Pastor Joe, only you would find something like that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty wild when we look at it. He's a political football, really. But you just can't change charges to suit your narrative. We have that discussion today in American jurisprudence, right? When we see certain things. You can't just change charges. You charge the person with something, if you're indicting them, right? The charges go eventually before the judge, and the judge starts the ball rolling with the trials and the witnesses and all that kind of stuff. Um, but here's the irony. In that time, if Jesus actually did choose to overthrow Rome at that time, which was not why he came, those same religious leaders would have been right behind them because they weren't a friend of Rome's either. There was a lot of political dealings happening in the first century. Again, you see some of the Roman prefects. They're in for a while. They're out. The high priest is in. He's out. It, it just became very political right? for the Roman system and the religious system. And again, you can read non-Christian sources and you'll find the same thing. In John 18, it gives us a little more filler. We see that Pilate is on to them, to them and their scheme. He sees their hypocrisy and he doesn't want anything to do with this. And i got to tell you, as people of faith, it's always tragic when we, as people of faith, even Christians, um, show ourselves to be hypocritical to the world. And some of the reasons I hear people say they don't want to come to church or they don't want to follow God, sadly enough, as if hypocritical religious people represent God, they don't. Uh, is because of this fact, right? So it happened back then. Tr the truthfully, if, if any of us in my position or their position, you know, our main focus, our main goal, hopefully, is to lead people to a closer relationship with their God. And if we're not doing that, then we ought to find something else to do for a living. Uh, so, but it happens everywhere. It happens across, you know, uh, even we see what's going on with Hamas. I mean, they are fervently religious, I've seen some of the videos. They're horrible to look at. And they claim that this is, that their God would want this. It's sick. It's demonic. You know, that's not a God. You know, that's, you're following something else. But religion can say a lot of things and claim a lot of things. But is it really from God? Does it really represent Him? And we really have to go back to the scripture to see if these things are true or not to do an investigation. So, okay. I'm going to read something from the Old Testament. If anybody is here right now, sitting in these seats or watching on the live stream, and you are one of those prove-it-to-me type people, oh, you're going to enjoy the next four minutes. <laughs> if you're a believer and you've heard stuff from loved ones who push you about, is God real, prove-it-to-me kind of stuff, get yourself a few blank pieces of paper because we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And listen... We're talking about paleography. We're talking about uh, archaeology. We're talking about anthropology. We're talking about hammered tin and you know ancient writings on it, which moves to you know parchments, which moves to you know the printing press, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the word of God is is still there, and they're still digging stuff up in 
whether the Qumran caves or, or other places, and finding ancient scriptures that all match up when you put them together. In the New Testament alone, there's 25,000 full or pieces of manuscripts that are in Coptic, uh, they're in uh, Aramaic, they're in Hebrew, they're in Koine Greek, they're in Latin. When you translate them, right, they all line up. So this is going to be fun. I could be up here by myself, by the way. This is, this is fun to me. You go, I'll just still keep going if you want to leave. But in, in Genesis 49, now we're talking about, we're talking about Jacob. He's blessing his sons. He's speaking through the power of God's Spirit to tell them what their futures look like. Every one of Jacob's words. Jacob didn't do a lot of things right, but when he spoke, when God was moving him, it was put into the Scripture, and this was written close to 4,000 years ago. So Genesis 49.10. Let me go into this. It says the scepter... I'm getting goosebumps. So the scepter... The scepter is what the kings would hold. They had that rod with a little design on the top, and you know the kings would sit in their courts, and they would, with their scepter, they could actually take somebody who was uh, an accused and adjudicate a capital offense. You, you pointed at them, you'd send the guards to take them and take them outside, and however their form of capital punishment was. The scepter was the king's way to be able to. Um, run day-to-day operations of his kingdom, so to speak. And it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah was the portion of the land that the Israelites had. They didn't even have it yet when Jacob is speaking here. This is amazing about prophecy. That Jerusalem would be the capital, pretty much, of the Israel nation. So, you know, even today we hear people, and this there's just chanting and there's riots and there's demonstrations and you people are screaming stuff they don't even know what they're saying what are we learning in our universities today this stuff is is archaeology this is history so the borders were defined for the nation of israel right so the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet or yes from a lawgiver or the lawgiver's staff from between his feet. So they would sit on these thrones and they would have the scepter and they would be able to give laws, take life, all this kind of stuff until Shiloh comes. Shiloh was another name for the Messiah. And if you actually translate it literally, it actually says to whom the scepter belongs, right? And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Okay, let's boil it down. So Israel has Israel's borders, right? And everything's running somewhat smoothly. Then Assyria comes onto the scene. It's a kingdom. Uh, Assyria doesn't conquer that much, but they cause a lot of havoc for the people they conquer. After Assyria comes Babylon. Babylon conquers. They take over. They get into Jerusalem, break down the wall. Uh, after Babylon was the Medo-Persians, after them it was Greeks, then it was the Romans, and I think most people understand it from there. Here's the interesting part. When Israel was, it wasn't just Israel, Israel was conquered, Moab was conquered, all the surrounding nations were conquered, right? But the conquering nations didn't have the infrastructure that conquering nations have today. They didn't have computers, they didn't have uh, a lot of the, you know, the electronic communications that conquering nations have today so it was very difficult so what they would do is they would conquer a nation and they wouldn't they would have their people use the conquered nations as a vassal state 
and they would basically say, you could run day-to-day operations, but we want money. <laughs> and if you don't pay money, we're going to come, our soldiers, we're going to make your life really miserable. So the people would do that. So the Israelites, along with the other nations, were able to run day-to-day operations. They were able to adjudicate, adjudicate cases and so on. So the scepter actually departed from them very interesting at the time of Christ coming. So let me tell you how. So the scepter Judah gets to keep until Herod Archelaus. Remember, with fast forward, Roman Empire, Herod's. Herod the Great has sons. A lot of them were incompetent. Herod Archelaus is running Jerusalem at the time. This is all history. Herod Archelaus is making life miserable for the Romans. So they eventually pull him out. Somebody is put in. His name is Caponius. Caponius. Caponius is a Roman prefect. So all of a sudden, something changes. The Herods leave, which the Herods say, even to the religious system, stoning is a capital offense. You guys could do that. And then the prefects come in. Caponius, fast forward about six or seven, and you have Pontius Pilate. What's significant about that is that when Caponius comes in, after all these uh, centuries of the, uh, the Israelites being ru- ruled by other nations, all of a sudden the Romans come in and say, listen, not only are we coming in, but we're not going to allow you to adjudicate capital cases. You have to go to us for that. That's interesting. That is really interesting. It gets even better. The Messiah comes, right? Genesis 49 tells us almost 2,000 years in the future when the Messiah will actually be there based on the political system at the time. That's mind-blowing. I just had a discussion with an Orthodox Jewish man about a month ago about this, this particular thing, and, and he couldn't argue that discussion because it's, it's, it's history. Now, it gets even better in that. In that, i got to slow down. <laughs> I get so excited over this stuff. Um, in that, the, the old law for capital offenses was stoning. However, In the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 speak explicitly about crucifixion, including the piercing of the body parts. And to the Jewish people, that was really unknown to them at the time. I believe it started with Persia and the Romans eventually perfected. So Jesus cannot be killed through stoning. He has to be killed through crucifixion. Because he has to shed his blood, again, according to old Jewish law, Leviticus 17, this is the shedding of the blood that is the substitutionary atonement for the remissions of sins of the people. We saw that in the temple, right? We saw that even in the Passover, the protection that the Jewish people had in Egypt. So Jesus had to come at a time where the scepter was removed from Judah and he had to be killed in a certain way, not through stoning. Isn't that fascinating? Just wrap your mind around that. I mean, that is just... People just sometimes read the Bible really quickly, but when you really dig into it, you're like, wow, nobody could know that thousand, almost 2,000 years later, or prior to that, excuse me. So, Pilate's in an interesting position because Pilate, he wasn't a good guy. You know, nobody's making any of these people out to be good guys. Pontius Pilate had done things, I don't need to go into the history, but you can look it up in the history books, he did things that really offended the Jewish people. Um, he was very insensitive when he ruled over that area. He was recalled to Rome, and the emperor basically told him in no uncertain terms, knock it off or you're bounced. So now Pilate's in this position where 
the religious leaders come to him and say, well, we want to crucify Jesus. And he's like, I, I don't really want to get into a religious case because he's not even a Jewish person, right? He doesn't care. He doesn't want to deal with it. So he ends up kicking it to Herod, and we'll find out what happens then. The leaders tell him basically, you know, you're unnoticed by Rome, and I'm saying this in a paraphrase, and certainly the emperor wouldn't be happy if there was a riot during the Passover, so we really need you to do this. But you know what? None of these people knew who was standing in front of him. He was fully God and fully man. So when you looked at him, even in Isaiah, right, in the Old Testament, it says that even his form, he wasn't charismatic looking, uh, he wasn't gorgeous, he just was fully God and fully man. Verse 5 through 6, a jurisdiction loophole. So Pilate doesn't want to be bothered with this. He finds out when they're, they're talking, Galilee. Pilate's going, ha, Galilee, Herod. Send Jesus, bind him, and go send him to Herod. Right? Herod Antipas is, is actually happy to see him. Now let me just digress for a moment, and we'll get into the last two parts here. Is, and, and I'd like to go through everything chronologically. So in Matthew 27, tells us at this time that Judas returns the money. So he does this horrible thing, and he's feeling remorseful, and he returns the money, and he goes and he hangs himself, and it's a very ignominious death. Um, we even read about this in Acts when it speaks about Judas. So the, the leaders say, well, this is blood money. We can't take this, so let's take the money and put it to the potter's field. The potter's field was a place, right? They didn't have a lot of social programs back then. So the potter's field was a place that it was a field and broken pottery and stuff was thrown in there. Sadly enough, those who couldn't afford a decent burial were put in a potter's field, um, this, this sort of burial ground. I want to read to you in the Old Testament, Zechariah 11. This is wild because this is, remember, God speaks to his prophets. No matter what version you look, it says the same thing. And, you know, the Lord is speaking, first person, right, uh, about what is going to happen to him before the incarnation. And it's, it's pretty neat. It says, then I said to them, and again, it's God would speak in the Old Testament to the Israelites and try to reason with them based on where they were going uh, spiritually. He says, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. So this is what I'm worth. Right, And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price that they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. That's another, it's a little, it's not as explicit as Genesis 49, but it's there. And, you know, again, in the Old Testament, they would read it. A lot of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they would read this stuff. They would get it from the Lord. They would write it down. And they didn't even fully understand the weight of what it was going to produce until generations later. Wild stuff. However, just really quickly, and then we'll move on to the rest of it, is that when you look at Peter, the Apostle Peter, and you look at Judas, right? they both betrayed the Lord. So Judas does a horrible thing. He pretty much sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter, sort of following at a distance, we covered this, and he doesn't want to get too close because he doesn't want to get in trouble either. Um, so they both were followers of Christ and they both betrayed him. Here's the difference. Judas, he's remorseful. And I don't know where Judas is right now. 
Uh, did he repent? It doesn't seem like he went all the way. But he just returns his stuff, takes his life, and Peter, and I'm not saying that suicide is the unpardonable sin. I'm just saying that when you look at, I'm looking at Judas's life altogether, Peter is convicted. He weeps bitterly. He has a, an epiphany. And um, to his credit, even after the awful things he did, he, come back, he comes back to Christ and he follows him with the other followers, men and women. So there's a, there's a kind of a difference between some people are remorseful, but they don't go the full distance in repentance. Others are repentant, which means they completely change and they turn towards the Lord. So it's, a, a, it's an interesting dis- character's discussion. Verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned Jesus with many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. He said nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. It's interesting how uh, people could be at enmity with each other, but if they're doing something that's against God, they kind of make this alliance. And we see this with nations, don't we? We see this in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We see it today on the world stage. It's another prophecy that goes back thousands of years. It's pretty powerful. So four out of five is Herod tries Christ. So remember, Herod Antipas is the same person who killed John the Baptist, right? And it appears from the totality of Scripture, you know, Herod was a typical boastful. Power does weird things to people, men and women. They act weird when they get it. Even some of these celebrities, they think they're gods, right? You get all that attention, that money, that influence, and they start to act weird. In King Agur in the Old Testament said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Who says don't give me riches? Who says I don't want to win the lottery? King Agor was wise. He said, too much of that stuff will destroy me. So don't give, I don't want poverty. Nobody wants to be poor, but don't give me riches either. Pretty wild. A lot of wisdom in the scripture. So Herod has having this big party, probably a lot of alcohol flowing, and he makes this boast, right? An open boast that he gets called on by his, uh, his wife and and his daughter-in-law, and she says, I want John's head on a platter. So now he's stuck. He's drunk. They're all drunk. They hear everything he says. And you ever hear people make these boastful statements, and you're like, oh, I wouldn't want to be in that person's shoes. Well, he was that guy. He didn't have the integrity to say, listen, anything but that, or um, I, I apologize, I misspoke. So he has John killed. What we find later is Herod Antipas, his his murder of John seems to haunt him. And he has all these different ideas about who Jesus is. He almost thinks because Herod's gone, but Jesus is still around doing miracles. He thinks that, again, it's not true, that Jesus is sort of the reincarnation of Herod, I mean, of John the Baptist. um, And he's just looking for closure. So Herod is all over the map. So he couldn't wait to meet Jesus. He was a double-minded man. And he, at this point, it seems like he's sort of, he's talking to Jesus. Jesus isn't answering him. Um, he wants to be entertained by the miracles because he heard about all the miracles Jesus did. And folks, that's our culture today, isn't it? You know, why do people want Jesus? 
Why are people interested in Jesus? You know, some people, they, they see these prosperity priest, preachers and they think, well, if I become a Christian, you know, I'll get that mansion I always wanted because these preachers say this. They're not, t- they're not telling you the truth. They're, they're weird, quite frankly. Um, but the world wants to be entertained. The world, our culture is hopeless. People move from one philosophy to another to another, um, and hopefully they find Christ for the right reasons. Right? Jesus didn't come to be an entertainer. Jesus came to be a Savior. And shame on those ministries, and there's a lot of them in the internet, that they don't counsel with people one-on-one. They don't do the human stuff. It's all a show. It's all about entertaining. Get more people in the church. Get more money in the coffers. That's not why Jesus came. This idea that about 10, 15 years ago where Jesus was now needed to be remade and He needs to be a relevant Jesus. Right? We have to make Jesus relevant. Why? So our church can thrive. And we don't say that. But you know, we as a church fought against that from the pulpit and say this is wrong. Jesus is relevant. If you really know who God is, He's always relevant. The problem is the culture is not relevant. The problem is the culture has sanitized who God is. Right? But He's our Savior. <laughs> he wants to save us from this. He wants to give us the hope that we can't get from the culture. And riches. Do a study on people who are uber wealthy. They're always looking for another prospect because, you know, even some of these billionaires, they almost have a deity complex. Well, I got all this money. I don't know what to do with it. They, they're not, they don't find happiness either. Well, maybe if I can get into politics and maybe control some of these people, and they, they kind of take it upon themselves to have this sort of deity complex. Right? We see it all the time. So Herod was the same way. Entertain me, Jesus. Jesus came to be a savior. Right? He didn't come to entertain anybody. He didn't say a word. So Herod eventually gets frustrated. He was so he really wanted to see Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. So he kicks him back to Pontius Pilate. Verse twelve. So Pilate and Herod sort of become friends through all this. And at first, you know, years ago I read this and I'm like, how could they be friends? These guys are so different. But there's a few things going on. A, this would have been a sign of deference because remember, uh, Pilate represents Rome. Herod sort of quasi represents, because a lot of the Jewish people didn't buy what he was selling, but he, they were sort of self-imposed, you know, worldly messiahs, right? So two very different people. So A, by Pilate sending Jesus bound to Herod to figure this out, it would have shown a deference to Herod and men who have power want their ego stroked so that he would have felt good about that. Oh, he's sending them to me. B, Herod desired to see Jesus in person and Pontius Pilate made it happen. But Pontius Pilate's motives were wrong. <laughs> we know that. So, And C, Pontius Pilate and Herod were both dishonest leaders who had no idea who was standing in front of them. Do we understand who Jesus really is? And in American culture, you can find all different faces of Jesus, and a lot of them are wrong. Go back to the Scripture. He came to be the Savior, right? I don't care about who, who's the, the new theologian on TikTok. He did claim deity. And you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself, am I buying this, right? Because the book was written, um, liar, lunatic, or Lord. A man, many men and women who were very well-to-do, highly educated, sought out, they went on a quest to destroy Jesus and write a book about it. And through studies of archaeology, paleography, history, scripture, witnesses, all this kind of stuff, they came up with 
Jesus is really who He says He is. Because if Christ is not Lord, He's crazy. Who's, who says that they're God? I would never say that. This place would empty out. You're, you're all taught very well. If I did that, this would be, it would be empty next Sunday. Rightly so. Because we teach you very well here. So Jesus, His claims, they were outlandish. However, they were biblical. They, were all, they all started with a foundation in the Old Testament. Right? And the, the prophecies gave us a time period that the Messiah could come and it can't come a day later or a year later. So you have to research that. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do, but I was sitting in those seats 20, almost 30 years ago and I heard preaching like this and I'm like, I really got, I can't ignore this. I would go home and I would be alone and I would remember what the pastor said and I'm like, all right, just forget about it, ignore it, go back, with, go back to your life. He's either the Messiah or he's not. And if he is, what are my responsibilities? If he isn't, then I should go on a quest to try to discredit him. And I did go on a quest and I came to the conclusion that many of you have come to. So listen, this is something where it's not, you know, do I like uh, my, my living room done in, in lavender or light green? You know, who cares? You know, this morning I, I picked this shirt out, right? I could have picked the blue shirt out. or that. Who cares? But when it comes to Jesus, you have to investigate it and you have to come to a conclusion because that's what He forces us to do because He loves us that much, right? So that's where we're at, folks. And, and I look at this, um, another reason Jesus didn't speak to Herod is because Herod, again, his motives weren't right. It's like that uh, Scripture, don't throw your pearls before swine. You know, pigs don't know what to do with pearls. They'll try to eat them. But in a metaphor, in a spiritual sense, there are some that you try to give nuggets of the truth and they mock you and, you know, and you just like, all right, I'll wait till they're ready. I'll wait till they're ready. So, um, and it's sad to see, uh, you know, the powerful people. How many powerful clergy would have kind of sucked up, for lack of a better word, to Herod? Right? We see that today, don't we? We see these ministries where the clergy are either the powerful men that want others to do their bidding, which is not scriptural, or they try to get closer to powerful people so they can live a better lifestyle. Listen, I've been asked to do funerals for uh, politicians and uh, people in government, and I just say, listen, I'm going to share the gospel. So, I actually had a, a young couple who I really liked and they wanted me to do their wedding. This was many years ago. I really got to know them. I really liked them. And they just didn't want me to mention God or Jesus or because it was not one of those weddings. I'm like, I'm sorry. You guys are wonderful people. I really have really grown, grown to really like you, but I can't do that. You can't extricate telling people to get close to God, helping them from who I am. I can't do it. So... I've had the opportunity when it comes to eulogies and funerals, I'm like, listen, you know who I am. You know what I stand for. If you're okay with that open mic and me sharing the way to God through Christ, I'll do it. And I have done it. And they have every right to say to me, no, we're not interested. It's not that type of thing. Somebody passed away. We're all going to pass away. We're going to go somewhere. So to me, it's always relevant because I don't know if I've got today the rest of the day to live. So, listen, let's just be real about this. This is the world we live in. Eternity is, is every second of every moment. It's always a possibility that we step into it. Um, okay. <laughs> five out of five is that 
the message, uh, the five, fifth part is the triers are tried. Jesus had to go through the motions. All the, how many prophecies in the Old Testament spoke about this crucifixion and this substitutionary death? He had to go through this. So he wasn't looking to say anything really wise and get out of it or do a magic trick and break the cuffs and throw the guards down. He had to go, according to Leviticus 17, and he had to spill his blood. Just had to do it. Um, Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says this, and this is very important. At the name of Jesus, and, or Yeshua in the Hebrew, this is going to be a reality. It's not yet, but it will be. Now God has just given free will for everyone to make the decision on their own. At the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone has to make this decision. It's either going to be of adoration now or you can resist all the way to the end and it'll be by obligation because God's kingdom is coming and He's not going to allow us, the human race, let me just say, to do to His new creation what's being done right now. This is the age of God giving men and women free will, giving them the earth, giving them the resources. Let's see how you do. Thousands of years later, we as a human race, we're not doing that well. It isn't just Ukraine. It isn't just Israel. There's wars everywhere. People are just unsettled. And there's possible wars, rumors of wars. What about Taiwan? What about this? What about that? Is, is this what we're going to live through in the next 10, 15 years if we live that long? You know, there's a better way. The Titanic of the world is sinking. The Lord's world is a better world. And He comes to call us out of this world. And again, the questions, well, why does God, why does God, one day God's going to ask you, why did you, you're a human, I gave you the world, I gave you free will, you can make a, 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 a difference in the world, why aren't you? I get to the point where I read enough of the scripture, I don't question God, because he's God. He will hold the human race accountable for what we're seeing, um, and you just have to decide what side you want to be on. So the triers, where are they now? You know, I read something that said, and again, if, from this pulpit, if I'm not fully vetted the source, I don't say it. So let me tell you something that I read. I'm not sure if it's true because it, I can't find enough to fully vet it. I read something, and it's, it's an old uh, work, that Pontius Pilate eventually was removed, I believe in A.D. 36. At some point, he repented and came to Christ. But that would be great, right? Pontius Pilate, Herod... Right now, only they know and God knows because they're not on this earth anymore. Right? So the triers are tried. Eventually, all these powerful men and women who sit at, stand at pulpits, who are you know, judges, who you know, they, they order everything in their courtrooms, billionaires who control information that we were supposed to be receiving, all those people will stand before the judge and they will have to give an account for their life. The more power, the more influence, the more responsibility is going to be on them. So I hope that they find Christ because he he's already died for their sins. They just have to receive that. So, Christ was the bridge for all those triers to get to God. And folks, every person who has ever lived has had to consider Christ. 
My question to you is, and I'll be here a while after service. You have questions, you ask me. You're on the drive home, you're one of those doubters. Write it down, send me an email. I'd love to have a conversation with you because I went through that journey. Uh, Lee Strobel, a Yale, back in the day, Yale graduate, investigative journalist, same thing. His wife becomes a Christian and he says, we, we discussed this when we raised the kids. We were going to be a-religious. And she's like, no, Lee, this is real. I don't have the knowledge you have, but you got to investigate it. This dude went on a two-year quest. Genius for a human being. Trying to discredit Christ and God. Comes to the opposite conclusion and then writes books. I've had uh, rabbis and you know, Jewish uh, leaders that have done the same thing. That have... Um, said, no, this can't be. My kid goes to college. What do you mean you come back a Christian? And see, that's the thing. We don't, folks, we don't change religions. Who cares about religion? I grew up in a religion and I left it. It was a denomination. I wanted an honest to goodness relationship with my God, period. And I did. I, I, got, I got the Quran. I got the Book of Mormon. I, got, I gathered all this information. My library is, is filled here and at home. And I went on a quest and I'm like, what's real? I don't want to be in a religion, you know? So you have to come to the same conclusions. And yes, he was tried only to get to the cross. But one day we'll stand before him. And will we stand before him in adoration or obligation? Folks, it's your choice. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.